0: With perspective, we get to see issues, problems, solutions, and thoughts in a different light. A problem might end up seeming bigger or small. With perspective, the solutions might end up being infinite or limited. Chemshabongo is a podcast that seeks to trigger a change in how you perceive things, how you react to events, and how you approach things that you do. We do this by hosting a number of voices, presenting their different perspectives. For the last part of the show, we will be having an excerpt of Not Huru, read by Obi Obiero Diambo By the end of this episode, we hope that you find more power in what is behind your eyes and stop focusing solely on what is in front of them. This is Chimshabongo.
1: Hello. My name is Obi obirodiambo I'm a writer, strategic communication scholar and social commentator. In this edition of Chemsha Bongo, I will address the issue of patriotism. For a long time, the western and eastern developed nations sympathetically viewed the poorer nations striven by cycles of drought and floods, the effects of climate change. And pontificated that whereas the developed nations were responsible for global warming, the effects would mainly be felt among the poor nations. Then an alert from the UK Fire Department came warning that the results of the deadly heat waves, firefighters won't be able to answer all calls. UK was hit by a water shortage, too. Another alarm was sounded as a result of rain shortfall grass had dried, and cows were in distress. Experts warn that the extreme weather, like the hot and dry conditions in the past July, will inevitably lead to smaller harvests in the UK, which will mean that food prices might escalate. July was the driest in England since 1935. So, Climate change is affecting those who thought that they had the technological advances to save themselves from floods, drought, rising water levels, and the decimation of crops and animals. We can see where the model of development has taken the globe. So you might ask yourself, why are we in the so-called least developed nations hurtling in the same abyss? We are struggling to create fast trains or faster trains, superhighways or uh, uh, master superhighways. Maybe we might look really great on postcards, but do people still send them? But should we not be thinking about preserving our own ecosystems? Should we not be thinking about our forests? Should we not be thinking about the animals in those forests? should we not be thinking about the sustenance that it brings to our people? Because we have seen that when all is said and done, and mostly what is said and done is so-called development, is that people are beginning to feel the effects of climate change. And not only those who are thought to be vulnerable, but we are finding that even those who thought they would cause climate change but not be affected by it, are now finding themselves at the receiving end. So the question then becomes, how do we respond to climate change in our part of the world? Might it be that we could be the final bastion where humanity might find itself with refuge when the rest of the earth gets scorched dry because of climate change or gets ravaged by drought? We need to think about this very, very seriously as we think about our model of development, which seems to be taking us in the same direction in which the distress calls are coming from.
2: Hello, this is Kekara Kamuero, Senior Lecturer in Architecture at the University of Nairobi. Let us focus on our urban life. What do you do when you arrive in a new town? What is it that you want to do? If we are going to breathe life into our towns, then we are duty-bound to learn how to achieve positive outcomes for them. For one, we must learn the art of making our visitors happy and engaged. This art requires that we master the skill of creating spaces that encourage people to interact. The most basic aspect of this is that we must slow people down and encourage them to take a seat. A good town will be generous about spaces where we can sit. Sitting space can be in public areas or it can be manifested in places like cafeterias and bars. There are good spaces for chance encounter and for watching other people go by. It's amazing that despite our overall good weather, we do not have a strong tradition of outdoor sitting areas. We must learn to utilize the outdoors. Our authorities must go out of their way to avail the space in towns for this to happen. These are happy spaces, and they go a long way in defining the character of a place. The city of Nairobi has a multiplicity of coffee houses, One of the real positive aspects of that city. We need to see similar spots in the other towns in Kenya. Warm, intimate spaces with character and as much as possible oriented to the outdoors. Our weather is a natural advantage that we must exploit. The creation of spaces where people may meet and maybe even strike up a conversation is part of the effort to create greater social cohesion in the towns and our cities it promotes connection and subsequently the exchange of information and experiences the promotion of what we call social capital it's like an investment we make because all of this rather out of this we build cooperation and we encourage initiatives good species created for us to share actually minimize the potential for social conflict and makes us all more comfortable with the people around us I have already mentioned that coffee houses are some of the spaces where we can make such connections. Such spaces need to be deliberately created to enhance social connectivity. They should allow people to meet for a long time and the staff should be friendly and sociable. Such spaces should also embrace the positive qualities of their locality and express it. There was a coffee house in Nairobi that had a board where you could pin messages for a friend. The idea was great, and is probably workable in some form, even in today's gadget-infested world. Over and above this, we must learn and accept to make the streets themselves places for social contact. Our streets should offer the possibility of sitting and taking a short rest, and we need to move to encourage this. We can do this with a street furniture, which of course includes benches designed for the purpose It also includes whatever ledges are available, whether it is on embankments or flower boxes, make it possible for people to sit. Through the same logic, we see the need to keep trees that provide shade as part of our urban spaces. What I have said here is pretty straightforward on the need to be conscious about our experiences on the streets and social places in a town, and the need to create opportunities for social contact. That, however, is not the head of the matter. And later, we shall discuss how to utilize natural features for this very goal.
0: And now for this week's excerpt of Not Yet Uhuru, read by Obi Obiero Diambo.
1: The greatest among the modern harpists, Otuoma, warned that We fight for water and land and that our aim is to attack the enemy's heart and defend our eyes. But however victorious we may be, there is always an end and our brave ones pass away, leaving behind only their names for us to remember. He sang that water was the source of inspiration, wisdom, and life, and he used the analogy of water as the source of transmitting understanding of current affairs. A rough translation of a part of one of his songs runs as follows. The sea, how great you are, that your message suffers no blow, for the tide, so faithful a servant, conveys your power and presses. Is it not true that the tide, so efficient and sure, at your show does surrender, the mighty message to the mountain between the mountain peaks does the message signal their affairs currently to the wilderness so quiet and steady and the wind takes over the performance from the wise calm and great doctor the wilderness in other words they say summons the wind to move with the message for our ears to receive at about nine o'clock after hearing the elders We went to bed, leaving the elders talking among themselves. Young boys and girls slept together in their grandmothers' houses and we were told stories of the past. The older boys went to sleep in the Simba, a dormitory built near the gates by the grown-up boys who were yet unmarried. Boys grown too big to live in the houses of the old women stayed in the dormitory house and there became acquainted with girls from other villages and had dances at night. We were never allowed to drink anything alcoholic, only milk or thin porridge, and the elders were strict about this. Generally, young people who had to be disciplined for failing to fetch firewood or failing to milk the animals or work in the gardens were singled out by the elders. But they were not reprimanded directly. The elders would report the child to his mother, and she would have to call him to order. If the mother resisted the disciplining of her child, she could be driven out of the village and kept out for some time, even for months. I can remember this happening in our family. I had neglected our animals one day, but notwithstanding that my mother gave me food that evening. My mother was considered far too protective towards a boy who had done no work and we had both to spend three days out of the village. My brothers were left alone, and our gardens untended. This was an admonition that could not be taken lightly. In our custom, this is not really a harshness directed against the women, but an insistence that women are the custodians of the children and their educators. If the children misbehaved, it was their mother who had to be shown the error of her ways. Women took second place in the conduct of many affairs, but they also had an important role to play. They were the custodians not only of the children, but also of the granary, and theirs was the responsibility to conserve food for times of drought and famine. The clans were named after women in recognition that they are the mothers of the children, and thus the founders of the clans. No marriage could be solemnized without the presence of the mother as well as the father, and even in the case of divorced and separated couples, both parents came together once more for the marriage ceremony of their children. Older women who became wealthy as a result of their diligence were consulted on many occasions, and in some instances they were women chairmen of Elders Council. We were taught that a good statesman would not give precipitate judgment that would defer his decision. When an elder said, I must consult the pillow before I make a judgment, it was understood that he would discuss it with the women.
0: Listen to Chemsha Bongo on our website, acute.co.ke Chemsha Bongo is an Acute Media Production.